It's the next level. Fuck you. Give me a bottle of booze. Here's my dollar. Suck my dick. Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. The following program contains violence, disturbing imagery, nudity, and, oh my God, why are you even watching this? Just run away. This shit is going to give you nightmares. For real. Nightmares where you are running naked on a treadmill made of razor blades, and your third grade teacher is pointing and laughing at you. We are tonight's entertainment. Lunar Injection Kool-Aid Eclipse Conspiracy. That is the name of the new Rob Zombie album. Because, you know, he can't just, like, name an album something simple. No, it's got to be some title that I actually had to write down so I wouldn't forget it. But, oh, well, whatever. Couldn't it have been, like, Hellbilly Deluxe 3? <laughs> Not going to lie, though. Pretty good album. I'm liking it. Every time I listen to it, I like it more the, the next time. So, you know, it's not bad. I mean, I listen to it when I'm not binge-watching Sons of Anarchy, which I don't even know what started that. Like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of the show. I, I watched it when it was on TV years ago and whatnot. I haven't gone back to it, like, since it ended. In 2014 or 2015, whatever it was. Anyways, with the whole merger between Disney and 20th Century Fox here in Canada, they added this function on our Disney Plus app called Star. And it's pretty much all the adult stuff that they don't want kids watching and stuff. Plus, a lot of it is the 20th Century Fox stuff. And Sons of Anarchy is on there. And I don't know why. I just the other night wasn't feeling too good. I just wanted to watch something. I was like, all right, I guess I'll watch episode one of season one. You know, shits and giggles, right? And I'm now on season two. <laughs> so, yeah, that kind of happened. I mean, I, I love this show. Don't get me wrong. It's kind of, it, it's weird watching it again now like years later and I mean don't get me wrong I love Katie Seagal I think she's a great actress but her character of Gemma is just really annoying to watch but at the same time she played it so well so I mean I can't complain it's just it's kind of like the little girl in the movie Psycho Goreman for those of you who have seen it it's very off-putting at first because she's actually really an annoying character. 
but she plays it so well. It's like, how can you take that away from that little girl? Like, man, she nailed that character. But anyways, I guess I should welcome you all back, right? I mean, instead of just rambling. Because from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Zero, I have nothing. I Wow, I really have nothing this week. You know, no, like, clever spin or nothing. I'll just say, welcome back to What Lurks Behind Behind Podcast Podcast Zero. Zero. And I am your host, Postmortem Paul, whose brain really seems like it's in a postmortem funk lately. I had nothing this week. I was like, it was funny too, like when I was doing my notes and stuff. I'm like, I need to figure out a clever way to start off this episode. And nothing was coming to me at all. Nothing. So, whatever. It's probably for the fact that I, since the last episode, I really had done nothing but just watch stuff movies, TV. Obviously, I said Sons of Anarchy. Been on a binge of that as of late I got uh, my arrow release for demons 1 and demons 2 Um, I kind of screwed that up but I'm not complaining about it because I thought I bought the 4k version and I didn't (laughs) I bought just the regular blu-ray edition but I'm not gonna lie it's still oh god looks beautiful Yeah, I, I, I can't complain. I mean, 4K, sure, it's a nice little addition and whatnot, but I can handle watching something in 1080p. Like, this is this is the world we live in, right? Like, I, I grew up in an era with, like, you know, bunny ear antennas that you had aluminum foil at the end, or, or like we used to do to my brother sometimes, watching, you know, baseball on Channel 4 Detroit the uh, reception wasn't coming in we'd have him hold the end of the antenna and he'd have to stand there for three hours while we watch the game (laughs) no we okay not three hours but you know two and a half anyways no i'm kidding um but yeah i grew up in that era so i mean it, it makes me laugh when i see people complaining about like 720p and they're like well why can't we get 4k and it's like jesus like calm down I mean, there's illegal downloads that are clearer than the stuff I used to watch as a kid. I grew up with, like, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, like, wow. What was it, uh, New York Ripper? When I watched that, and I mean, the first time I ever saw it, it was like a dub of a dub of of a dub. Like, it was like, you know, third generation VHS recording. We didn't have 720p back then, let alone 480. I mean... (laughs) You know, so it's like sometimes when I hear people complain about, well, it's not 4K yet. When are we getting the 4K release? It's like, slow your roll. Like, calm down. I finally saw the the Black Christmas, the, the 2006 version. I finally saw the UK cut of that movie. It's not nice to poor little Michelle Trachtenberg, that's for sure. Her character gets brutally murdered in that movie. Not like the North American version. North American version, she gets like, well, I mean, it's not exactly a nice way to kill someone, but 
you know, she gets like the ice skate in the back of the head. Kind of takes off a chunk of her head or whatever. In this, it's like just, just the sheer thought of like someone gouging your eyeball out and then pulling your head with their fingers in the hole. Like that's just, oh, that's rough. It would look cool. I mean, they did a good job with the special effects and whatnot, but that was not nice. I'm like, man, no wonder she wanted the skate in the head for the North American version. I don't know if it's what she wanted, but yeah. Which is weird because the UK was known for like the video nasties. And there's like so much that, you know, so many times you'll see like, you know, movies that are edited and it's the UK version that was edited down. And in this case, it's like, that was a lot more brutal than North American release. But, um, I don't know. It was kind of cool. It's kind of cool to watch. Like, I've now seen all three versions. I've seen the theatrical, the unrated, and the UK cut. And, um, the unrated, that's still my favorite version, but... The UK version's solid. I mean, it's kind of cool. Oh, what else have I watched lately? Uh, Frankenhooker, because I had to. I love that movie. That's so funny. Want a date? <laughs> I always, you know, and I hate it now because, like, obviously, in my, you know, my more wiser days and. You know, I'm collecting VHS now, and it's like, man, that is one videotape I never had the original for. I never had the little button that you could push on it, and it'd be like, want a date? I never had that. I feel ripped off. <laughs> Whatever. I'll shut up. What else did I watch? I watched uh, Terror Within. Oh, uh, Scream Factory a couple of weeks ago posted that they had copies of the double feature Blu-ray, Terror Within and Terror Within 2. Uh, they had some copies they were selling, so I picked one up and I watched the first movie. I still have to watch the second. Sons of Anarchy happened and all of a sudden the movies got pushed to the side for a bit. But before that, I mean, I did, I checked out The Village in the Woods, which is a low budget British flick. Kind of creepy. Very slow though. It was. I, I almost feel it'd be unfair to rate it right now and say what I actually thought of it. Only for the simple fact that I watched it the same night I watched Day of the Dead and Monster Hunter. And both movies which are very, you know, action-packed and have a lot going on. And not to mention that by the time I got to Village in the Woods, it was around 5, 6 a.m. in the morning because I did an all-night marathon kind of thing. And I, I believe I also watched The Resonator, uh, the Miskatonic U uh, two-parter on uh, full, moon, full Moon Features. But anyways, by the time I got to Village in the Woods, I was kind of tired. So it would it, be unfair for me to say what I completely think of the movie. More or less for the fact that I did kind of get tired near the end, so... But, uh, yeah, watch that. Uh, stay Out of the Fucking Attic is um, apparently a new Shutter exclusive. Had four out of five skulls for its rating on Shutter, so I gave it a shot. Not bad. Kind of like Hostel a little, that torture porn stuff. Little, well, it's a little bit lighter than Hostel, but 
There's some interesting stuff in that movie. But the villain is a Nazi. Which sometimes, I I don't know. I, I like watching stuff like that, but at the same time, I feel like the whole Nazi thing is, it's an easy cop-out. You know automatically that that person is the villain. You know, um... I mean, in this movie, it was kind of an interesting twist they had, basically. And, you know, the one character is an ex-Nazi, where the villain is the Nazi. And, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't bad. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't knock the movie, that's for sure. It was enjoyable. It had some pretty cool uh, gore, especially near the end. Um, but it wasn't bad. And I think... Oh, uh, let me see. Oh, the, the, there was one other movie I did watch. It was that movie Come Play, which I had mentioned on the podcast before, but I wanted to check that one out. Not bad. Um, it starts off really intense, really creepy, but as the movie goes on, it, I find it loses that effect because now you kind of know what you're in for, right? And I don't know. I still enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Um, the little kids in that movie... All were great actors. To the point where there was even one part where it was like the kids do something that like kids would do. And I'm watching the movie and I'm like, I'm screaming at the TV. I'm like, you little shits. I hope you all die. And I mean, like, obviously not the actors. I don't want them to die. But like their characters, they redeem themselves later. And I was like, okay, you're off the hook. But I mean, it was just it was kind of funny because when I'm watching this movie, I'm actually talking at the screen. I'm like, well, you you know, it, for me, that's when I know a movie is doing something good is if I'm reacting, even if I'm by myself in the room, like if I'm reacting with the TV or talking at the TV, that's how I know a movie's doing what it should do. So, so yeah, so that's pretty much, I mean, that's more or less the stuff I've been watching lately. Um couple news pointers I'll quickly talk about because there's things that I want to say and then we'll move on to the movie of the week which I'm intentionally not telling you what it is because it's <laughs> well I mean if you're listening to this episode I guess you already know because you'll see it in the title episode 88 is uh, about the movie 88 and I've had this movie for a bit. I, I bought it at Shockstock years ago. Um, I think it was like back in, I want to say 2018, I think I bought it. 2017, something like that. Anyways, um, and I bought it because like, well, it's uh, in Canada, it was released through Raven Banner. And Raven Banner had their own little um, like vendor spot at Shockstock in London, Ontario. And I was looking at their movies and whatnot, and they had this movie called 88. And I, rec- I I noticed it right away because Catherine Isabel was on the 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 like the cover, the slip cover. And I mean, it, you guys, <laughs> I kind of joked about it on this podcast before, but I mean, like, yeah, I might have like one of those like celebrity crushes on Catherine Isabel. Anyways, I see her on the cover of the movie, and I'm like, I've never heard of this movie before. What what that? What is this? So I'm like reading the synopsis and stuff. And then I see Christopher Lloyd is in this movie as well. And Michael Ironside. And I'm like, 
really? Like, how did I not even know this movie happened? So I picked it up. I didn't, I, it wasn't one of those that I was like, well, I'm going to see what I think of it first. Fuck that. I was like, nope, I'll just buy this now. Pretty sure I'm going to love it. And I watched it when I got home, and you will find out what I think of it today. Yay. But anyways, yeah, episode 88 is about the 2015 movie called 88. I had to. And it was interesting because episode 88 was not going to be this at first, and then I just thought about it. I was like, why not? Just do it be very easy for you know if anyone ever asks you well what was episode 88 about 88 you know and just screw with them whatever it's like i remember uh, a friend of mine years ago named his dog ask him and of course then when people would walk up to him and be like oh what's your dog's name i'll ask him bad joke i know but apparently that happened a friend of mine did do that <laughs> Anyways, to get to my uh, quick pointers, there's about three things I want to talk about really quickly, and then we'll jump into the movie review. Number one, okay, so there's a rumor floating around that I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. Rob Zombie. I know, I mentioned him at the beginning of this episode. Anyways, he is rumored be working on a Munsters reboot slash movie. I say rumored because, okay, you're going to see it all over the internet. Rob Zombie is working on a Munsters reboot. Okay, and then you read the actual articles and it come, you come to find out that it's, it's a fan site that has put this theory out there based on a, an interview they may or may have not done with Rob Zombie. So, I say it's rumored at this time until I see full confirmation from Universal Studios or whoever, Lionsgate, whatever, that this is actually fact. At this point, I will say this. I posted the article on the Facebook page and was actually kind of shocked to see that the interest on this seems pretty high. There is uh, quite, I, I, and I was, and not just my post, other posts as well. I've seen comments and viewpoints that seem very positive about this. A lot of people think that Rob Zombie's the right guy for a Munsters reboot because of his passion for the original. Not to mention, I mean, he's worked, he's done like movies and, or not movies, but um, like music that's been based around the Munsters. I mean, obviously Dragula, probably one of the most famous ones he's done. But um, there's also... Uh, Jesus, and I can't remember the name of the CD. It was like a compilation CD. And anyways, he worked with other musicians that I cannot remember who it was at the time. But I know that I I even have the song downloaded somewhere that he's done his own version of the Munsters theme song. So, I mean, he knows the Munsters. He knows it very well. Um, the concern that uh, most people have is probably the same concern I have. In that, in this rumor, it stated that Sherry Moon Zombie would be playing Lily Munster. I get it, and I understand creators and directors and whatnot. They do this 
Paul W.S. Anderson is known for doing this. Uh, his movie Monster Hunter that I just recently watched. His wife is the lead character, Mila Jovovich. Um, I'm watching Sons of Anarchy right now. Kurt Sutter's wife. Katie Seagal is <laughs> main female in Sons of Anarchy. I get it. This happens. And the thing is, though, is that with Rob Zombie, it always happens. He doesn't... I wish he would branch out for once and let someone else other than his wife take the lead, like, female role. Do I think that Sherry Moon Zombie could play Lily Munster? I don't know. Um... In certain incarnations of characters and whatnot, especially within Rob Zombie's music videos, she's sort of got the movements down already. Um, especially, I believe it was the Living Dead Girl video. When Sherry Moon Zombie's in that, she's got some of the Lily Munster movements down perfect. So, I mean, is she really the right person for that role? It's really tough to say. I just kind of wish that with Rob Zombie films, we'd get different casts. But then again, at the same time, we've seen this before where certain directors have their favorites that they always use. Dario Argento's done this, John Carpenter, Wes Craven. There's other directors that have had their certain niche, you know, actors and actresses that they love working with. Tim Burton is probably the biggest joke of them all with Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. So... I get it. I'm not going to knock it completely, but it's just it's something that I'm like, hmm, is she really the right person for that role? Another movie that had some news come out recently is Evil Dead 4. Bruce Campbell is serving as one of the producers of this film. So, of course, there's some people that they saw the headlines where it says Bruce Campbell reveals that Evil Dead 4 is going into filming this, you know, late spring, early summer. And people are like, oh, he's coming back? No, he's producer. But, of course, headlines are misleading because that's what they do to pull you in. Anyways, he did say that Evil Dead 4 will begin filming later this year. The movie is actually going to be called Evil Dead Rises. And they're going to be filming in New Zealand. Now, the thing with New Zealand is, is, of course, filming most likely will happen because in terms of the whole COVID thing that we are experiencing in this world, I don't care what your viewpoints are on it. I'm just saying it's happening and it's a thing. But in New Zealand, it seems almost null and void. Now, they've had the odd case here and there, but... They're not at the levels of, say, North America or the UK or other areas like that. So when he says the filming will start taking place this year, most people can believe it. Um, the director for it will be Lee Cronin, who did the movie The Hole in the Ground. Uh, and he was handpicked by Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell are both going to be producing this. And I think actually I read somewhere that Sam Raimi will also have some say in the storyline as well. Um, Bruce Campbell did say that he can't talk much about the movie, but it is going to take place 
out of the woods. It won't be in the cabin this time. It's going to be set in an urban setting. So that's interesting. Um, there wasn't much else to really pick out of it um, other than the main actor will be um, a female heroine in this in this incarnation, which we saw in the 2013 film as well. Um, I don't think that's really a bad thing. I guess uh, the whole point is that she will be saving or protecting her family during a deadite invasion. So uh, it's there's not much else really that's been put out there yet. So it's really hard to comment, but it's just nice to know that it is going to happen. Lastly, there is uh, another big name property heading to the small screen. And this time it's a Stephen King property which um, has been picked up by Netflix, I believe. If I uh, read, if, if, you know, if every, well, they're producing it. Let's put it that way. So I assume it's going to be a Netflix uh, film. But um, The Talisman is going to be adapted into a film feature. It's either a film feature or in, they might be doing it as a series, actually. It's really tough to say. I do know, though, that... Um, the Duffer Brothers, who are responsible for Stranger Things, they will be adapting the novel for the small screen. Um, and it just says that, because uh, Steven Spielberg owns the rights, so he'll be working with them. Um, apparently he's been planning on doing this for some time, but nothing has ever stayed concrete. But it was the Hollywood Reporter that reported it first that Spielberg has teamed up with Matt and Ross Duffer and they will um, be executive producing The Talisman as well as helping Steven Spielberg adapt it into a screenplay so that it can be brought to the masses. And like I said, it seems like it's going to be through Netflix. They are one of the uh, producing companies along with Amblin Television and Paramount Television Studios, which I keep seeing the, the word television. That's why I'm wondering if this is going to be a movie or if it's going to be a series. could be like some form of like a mini series or something like that, which to be fair, it might be the best way to do it. It seems like stories can, you know, be told better when they're done in a series format as opposed to a long movie. Um, that being said, I'm going to keep this very quick, but uh, there is a long movie coming out at the end of this week that I am anxious to see. I know that there are a lot of opposing opinions on this property. I don't care if you didn't like Man of Steel and Batman v Superman. If you didn't like it, then you probably won't like this. So don't don't waste my time telling me how you feel about this. All right, honestly. Um yes, Justice League does drop on HBO Max March 18th, which is in 3 days from now. Well, three days from when I'm recording this. Um, 
I am excited to see it. This is the Justice League that I wanted. I know that I am in for a bit of a disappointment. I am I'm aware of this, that apparently it ends on a cliffhanger that we may never get resolved. I'm well aware of this. I don't care. I'm just looking forward to seeing it. I personally like these movies. I understand they're not for everyone. I understand that a lot of people think they are film experts. I am not one of those people. (laughs) If you've listened to this show long enough, you know. I normally don't know what I'm talking about, but I just like talking about movies, even when my opinions may be wrong. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that four hours is nothing. If 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 you binge watch t- television shows, if you are a fan of Lord of the Rings or The Godfather or Scarface or Heat or and pretty much anything Al Pacino does, but um, it, let's face it, like there's a lot of movies out there that are, you know extremely long and we get through them just fine a four-hour movie does not scare me i'm looking forward to this i think it's gonna be awesome Uh, that said i'll probably be avoiding a lot of social media near the end of this week for two reasons one i don't want spoilers and two i don't need people telling me that my opinion is wrong if i like something i like it Moving from Deadites, Superman, and Talisman onto now leading ladies with a nasty need for revenge. Yes, this is a revenge flick. Um, we're going to do the trailer timeout. And when we return for the shared Deadcast experience, we're going to shuffle off to Niagara Falls. The Canadian side, by the way. Uh, not the American side, the Canadian side. Um... And Doc Brown and Ginger Fitzgerald are going to work together in a movie. It's really cool. Um, some people say they feel it's like the Kill Bill meets Memento. Um, my question is, is it really that good? I guess we'll find out after the break. Back in a splat, kitties. And now he's coming to kill you too. We have to fix this. Kill them all. Who are you, Mr. Cyrus Brunman? What the hell's going on? How does someone like you become the primary suspect in two murders? Are you insane? Engage in a firefight. And eventually end up the most wanted felon this side of Tennessee. I'm not a killer. I don't kill people. <laughs> what the hell is going on? You would be lying to me now. Of course not. They're my best friend. You actually don't remember what happened. It's not going to change anything. You're going to make everything worse than it already is. You're out of control. You're going to make things go back to normal? Something like that. 
I'm jacking off. She has left. It's one of the taglines on the the slip cover for this week's movie. 88. Which is episode 88. One thing's for sure. I would, you know, doing this episode, at least there's no way I could forget the title of the movie. 88 is a bit of a common theme, too. There's some trivia stuff about this movie that's kind of interesting as well so including the fact that its release date was a bit of a trick so it was released three different dates in three different parts of the world so the United States got it first which was not the intention but it's what ended up happening United States got it January 15th, 2015, and that was through a Blu-ray release. That was It didn't even have theatrical release at that point, which then it was followed up with a UK release, which was a theatrical release, but it was at a, a film festival, the Glasgow Fright Festival. That was February 27th, 2015. And then the actual official release date which was what was supposed to be the worldwide release, but for some reason, the U.S. and the U.K. got it before Canada, but it was released May 8th, 2015 in Canada. So, it, And there was a whole thing I was reading up about that it was something about the Blu-ray rights were picked up. I can't even remember the name of the company. I think it was Millennium Pictures picked it up for the United States, but then they released it early which then the UK said, okay, well, if we're releasing it, we're going to release it at our Fright Festival, which then Canada just said, we'll just stick with the original release date we wanted. So that's how that ended up happening. Um, the movie is directed by April Mullen. No relation to Patty Mullen. I say that because I just recently watched Frankenhooker. And I should also add, just quickly, when I watched Frankenhooker, there was a cool making of documentary on there. Which was sort of making of both Frankenhooker and Basket Case 2 because they were both being filmed at the same time. But anyways, um, there's a really cool part in that documentary where there's an... It's about, oh, I don't know, a couple minutes with Patty Mullen and she's talking about her experience on Frankenhooker. She really wants to do a second one. And... um, that, it, it, granted, this documentary that I watched, I guess it was actually filmed in 2006. But um, apparently she still wants to do that that sequel. I don't know. I, I don't think it'll ever happen. But I don't know. Stranger things have happened. Um, but anyways, yeah. Uh, back to this movie. So it's directed by April Mullen. Um, like I said, no relation to Patty, but she uh, she also worked on a movie um, before this called Dead Before Dawn 3D, or Dead Before Dawn, but I guess it was filmed in 3D, which was a zombie horror comedy, and um, that ties in a lot with this movie. Because of that, this happens kind of deal, so 
Um, she's also worked on TV shows like uh, Killjoys, Winona Earp, Lethal Weapon, uh, The Rookie, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. She did like three episodes on that. And also another CW show, The 100. The story for 88 was created by April Mullen, but the screenplay was written by Tim Doiron. And this is the only story that April Mullen has ever written. But Tim was also a writer for uh, Dead Before Dawn. And uh, he was also part of the TV shows uh, Real Detective and The Detectives. That's two separate shows. <laughs> um, the movie was produced by both Tim Doiron and April Mullen. The music for this movie was done by Benoit Gray and David S. Hamilton. His name is actually David Stone Hamilton, but for this he was credited as David S. Hamilton. Now, Benoit has worked in the music department for a multitude of movies, uh, some of which included Mimic, Scream 2, Fantasia 2000, Scary Movie 2, The Day After Tomorrow, um, the uh, remake for When a Stranger Calls from 2006, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Beginning, and The X-Files, I Want to Believe, from 2008. And that's just to name a few. David, on the other hand, has worked on projects like Army of Frankensteins, Six Bullets to Hell, Lights Out, Gremlin, not Gremlins, Gremlin, Tosh O, and American Pickers. Is it Tosh O or Tosh Zero? I never really know. I never watched it. I just know it was on TV and there's a lot of people that really enjoy it. Probably not my thing though. But anyways, uh, cinematography was done by Brooks Reynolds and this is their only feature film. And there was one other like short film credited to Brooks's name and that was it. Starring cast. Starring cast is kind of small, so this makes this easy. But just because it's small doesn't mean they're not big names. Starting with our star, the lovely Catherine Isabel, as both Gwen and Flamingo. And obviously Catherine has done movies like the Ginger Snaps Trilogy... American Mary, Freddy vs. Jason, See No Evil 2, 13 Eerie, and the Netflix show The Order. Uh, if you have paid attention to this podcast, you know that I have already talked about Ginger Snaps, Freddy vs. Jason, and 13 Eerie. Yes, I've seen a lot of her stuff. As a matter of fact, everything I mentioned there, I've, I've seen. And I do, I really enjoy her movies, I enjoy her acting. Christopher Lloyd as Cyrus. Christopher Lloyd, I'm sure most of you have figured this out, but he has been in over 200 acting roles. Uh, 237 acting credits to date. Which includes movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Dead Before Dawn. I told you you'd be hearing that one a lot. Uh, the Adams Family movies. Well, the first two, anyways. Adams Family and Adams Family Values. He was not part of Adams Family Reunion. He was in the movie Clue. He was in Mr. Mom. He was in a murder thriller, 
horror film from 1980 known as Schizoid. Okay. Oh, yeah. And he was Doc Brown in Back to the Future. <laughs> it's pretty much... Between Doc Brown and Uncle Fester, I think those are the two that most people know him as. Um, but he's, like I said, 237 acting credits. And I never knew he was in this. You know, Like I said, it wasn't until I saw the DVD at Shockstock and I was like, wait, what? All right, I'm in. I mean, both Catherine Isabel and Christopher Lloyd right there alone is enough to pull me in. And there's still other names I haven't even mentioned yet. Um, Kyle Schmid as Aster. I assume it's Schmid, although it could be Schmidt. I don't know. But he doesn't have the T at the end of his knee. Um, anyways, uh, he was in movies like A History of Violence, The Covenant, Joyride 2, Dead Before Dawn. He was also, um, for those of you who followed the TV show Arrow, he was in a season one episode, uh, the one called Legacies, that was about the Royal Flush Gang. He was in that. And he was in the TV series Being Human. Uh, Tim Doyron plays a character named Ty, and April Mullen plays a character known as Lemmy. Um, I've already talked about them too, so... We'll just skip on to, um, well, this is a popular name. Jesse McCartney as Winx. Jesse McCartney's done a lot of stuff I didn't even know he did. Um, specifically, the uh, voicing of Roxas in the Kingdom Hearts series of video games. I, I, I didn't even know he did that. And neither did I know that he had voiced Theodore for Alvin and the Chipmunks, some of the more recent stuff yeah apparently he's uh the voice of theodore i did know he was the voice of dick grayson and nightwing in the young justice series for dc didn't realize he was in two episodes of fear of the walking dead though and i mean yeah okay he's kind of known for his pop music career as well but not my deal Finally, Michael Ironside as Sheriff Knowles. Oh, I have no clue where we know Michael Ironside from. I don't know, maybe V the Final Battle, V the Series. Uh, the, the 80s series, that is. Um, there's this movie. I usually refer to it when I get like these like migraine kind of headaches. Um, it's called Scanners. Yeah, he was in that. Um... One that, uh, um, that my buddy TJ will probably be, you know, screaming at me to say, you better mention it. Yes, he's in Top Gun. Um, Starship Troopers, Turbo Kid, Total Recall, Stillborn, Prom Night 2. God, I love that movie. I was so happy that The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs did Prom Night 2. I actually... As much, and I do love the first prom night, but I think prom night too, I actually like a little bit more. Just saying. Uh, Michael Ironside was also in The Machinist. And because I mentioned earlier about the Justice League, let's stick within that category. Um, Michael Ironside was the voice of Darkseid for Superman the Animated Series, Justice League, and Justice League Unlimited. Plus, I think he's done it one other time. 
one of the video games, I think, if I'm correct. And he was also in Terminator Salvation, which, yeah, I know, a lot of people don't like that movie, but I do. My opinion is wrong, I know. I've been told many times in the past couple weeks. The runtime for this movie is 88 minutes long. I shit you not, I'm serious. <laughs> the runtime is 88 minutes long. The movie is not rated, and no budget or gross profits have been listed anywhere. I looked. Could not find shit on that. The synopsis for this movie is very simple. Taken from IMDb, a young woman comes to in a roadside diner with no idea where she is or how she got there. Split between two timelines, she gets taken on a violent journey as she seeks out the person responsible for her lover's death. That's pretty much it. Um, it's just, it's, it's a past and a present timeline mixed about trying to figure out the story of Gwen and her alter ego Flamingo. The notes for this week, I'm calling them night, nights, notes from the Fugue State. Now, I'll explain Fugue State for those of you who do not know what I'm fucking talking about. So, Fugue State, I actually got like a definition right off the internet, even though at the beginning of this movie, it does tell you what a Fugue State is. Fugue State, and God, I'm going to fuck this word up, but I'm going to try anyways, is a dissociative fugue. Formerly fugue state or psychogenic fugue is a dissociative disorder and it's a rare psychiatric disorder characterized by reversible amnesia for personal identity, including the memories, personality, and other identifying characteristics of individuality. The state can last days, months, or longer. Dissociative fugue is caused by a situation that gives the person extreme emotional stress. The dissociative fugue is believed to occur as the person's means of escape from the stress that they can't otherwise cope with. So in other words, more or less what this is about is Gwen has witnessed her lover's death. And it has completely sent her spiraling off into a different character. This different character becomes Flamingo. The movie is set at two different timelines. We see everything leading up to the death of her lover, and we see everything from that point on. The point from her lover's death to the end of the movie, scattered about, obviously, but is the revenge plot of it. And everything that leads up to her lover's death is Gwen being the the more softer, gentler, she's just a girl in love with a guy kind of, you know, she's a normal person kind of thing. Um, some people have pointed out also that the title of this movie is 88. The runtime of the movie is 88 minutes. 88 was also the miles per hour speed in which the DeLorean in the Back to the, Fut Back to the Future trilogy had to attain in order to time travel. Which is interesting because the way this movie works 
it's a constant back and forth traveling through time of past and present. So very interesting how that all plays out. I'm sure... I sh- I shouldn't say I'm sure, but pretty sure that was not, you know, in the back of April Mullen's mind when she came up with this idea. But who the fuck am I to say that? I have no clue. Um, during the making of this film, by the way, Christopher Lloyd turned 75. He did celebrate his birthday during the filming of this of this story. Uh, little background notes. Um, in October 2013 was when um, the Hollywood Reporter reported that Christopher Lloyd joined on. Um, and the reason why he joined on was because, as I, I mentioned this, you know, Dead Before Dawn, you heard it mentioned several times with different actors and April Mullen and Tim Doyron and whatnot. Anyways, Christopher Lloyd was part of that film as well. He liked working with the two. And when he found out he could join on to 88 and he would get to play the villain, he totally jumped at it, which I'm not going to lie. His his villainous character, it's a nice change for him. I mean, and we've seen it before. He played the... You know, whether the, the the judge and you know who framed Roger Rabbit and whatnot, but that was kind of cart- cartoonish and whatnot. This is him actually being a badass villain, and he does it pretty good. Um, in terms of the script, now I say like you know how it's like kind of like this time traveling thing of going back and forth between past and present. When they wrote the script, the script was written in full sequence from beginning to end, and then basically what they did was they chopped it up. And put it all over the place. And it's supposed to better represent the um, the mindset of Gwen and Flamingo. Um, the whole idea of the fugue state. Trying to figure out her brain and figure out where, you know, what happened and where she came from and stuff like that. And that was why they wanted to do that. It works on a specific level, but at times it can make the movie confusing. I'm not going to say it doesn't. Um, it, it's a matter of, you, and this is one of those movies where you, you can't just throw it on and have it as background, background noise. Like you have to pay attention to it because sometimes it can, it, the slightest little snap can, you know, have you confused with it and whatnot. So I can kind of get where certain comments I read about the film and even my own personal opinions. Like the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it, but I knew it was one of those films where I would have to watch this a couple times to get everything about it because it, yeah, the, the time jumping can be a bit confusing. Um, it's also where it gets its comparisons though, to movies like Memento and Kill Bill. The Kill Bill part, I think more is, based on the revenge aspect, but the memento thing is the whole time traveling, not time traveling, but the time bouncing that the, the narrative does. The thing is, is let's be fair here. Is this movie really as good as movies like memento and kill bill, especially kill bill volume one volume two. Okay. It's not that I hate it, but it is a bit of a letdown, especially after how amazing kill bill part one is. Or volume one or whatever they call it. Um, 
But the thing is, is would I say that 88 is on the same level as movies like those? Okay, so I can say this. I can say that Catherine Isabel is definitely on point for possible comparisons to those films. Um, like, to the height of that praise. Like, I mean, it, she's amazing in this movie. She really is. As much as I'm impressed with her performance of basically two characters, she is more or less playing two different roles. Um and I mean, she totally brings her A-game. She absolutely brings her A-game. I don't know that it's enough to warrant this movie being given the praise of those two. Um, it's not. This is by no means a bad movie. But, I mean, you're talking about some pretty big movies. This is very low budget. For low budget, though, I will say this. Like, this is... Um, very impressive for a low-budget flick. Now, the thing is, is also, is you got to keep in mind, you've got veteran actors like Christopher Lloyd and Michael Ironside in this. Christopher Lloyd is playing, you know, the villain, Cyrus. He's playing, like, the, the underground, I guess you'd call him, like, a mob boss kind of character. And then you got Michael Ironside playing the honest cop who just wants to find the killer and, you know, locks Cyrus up behind bars. Um... Which he does a very great job. He does a very good job as well. They're they're both solid performances. But I don't know that it's enough to say that it's on the level of something like Kill Bill. Uh, in Tarantino movies are just, especially those certain few. You got your Reservoir Dogs. You got Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill Volume One. Um, Jackie Brown was another good one. Um, like, I don't know, like, some of, especially that, that time frame of, of Tarantino's films, he was, he was on to something else. Um, some people would go as far as to say the same about Inglorious Bastards or, you know, Django Unchained. Um, yeah, like, he's on a different level altogether. But here's the other thing, too. So I'm going to take this movie. I'm going to walk away from that approach. I'm going to walk away from the Tarantino um, comparisons and say and ask, ask the question again, is this still a good movie? It is definitely shot very nicely. Um, on location in Niagara Falls, Ontario, um, and a beautiful backdrop. And they used, uh, I forget the term, um, April Mullen, I think, basically said they used like what they called underbelly locations which was basically places in niagara falls that aren't very well known um but it helped to keep it sort of um uh like it could be in anywhere town kind of idea like even though we know that you know those of us watching it would go yeah this was filmed in niagara falls but it, it kind of gives that feeling of this could be anywhere kind of idea, you know. So it, it works really well. Uh, practical effects were used on set. Um, the dialogue is solid. Nothing feels forced. Nothing feels uh, out of place, really. The dialogue is basically it. sometimes expositional, but at the same time, it feels more or less very natural. Um, the acting... Specifically by Catherine Isabel, Christopher Lloyd, and I might say Tim Doyron as Ty. Um, they re those three really stand out well. Uh, Michael Ironside solid as well, but uh, and same with Jesse McCartney. 
solid performance. The acting is not bad at this uh, is not bad in this film at all. The jumping from timelines, well that can be confusing. Especially um going it, and you got to keep in mind like when I went into this I went into it blind. I had no clue this movie even existed prior to finding it at Shockstock. So I didn't really know what I was getting into and the first time I watched it, yeah, it was it was a bit confusing in the beginning. Um I I guess that helps though. It lends a hand in you know the whole storyline of Gwen. You know we kind of get to feel what she feels through that confusion. So I mean at times that kind of works. Um, but I, I will say this: the second act of the film, like sort of like the middle point. Is where it feels like sometimes it's dragging. It seems like there's stuff happening, but it's not really moving the story forward. The third act, though, like the final, oh, I'd say maybe 15 minutes of this film. Interesting twist, um, and it's kind of worth it. I'm sure some some people that will watch this will pick up on that twist well before it even happens. Um which can make the film feel anticlimactic, but I don't know. I was still trying to, when I watched this the first time, I was still trying to grasp the whole time jumping thing and making sure I didn't miss that. So when the payoff happened for me, it was like, oh shit, I guess I didn't catch that. Now when I watch it over other, like, you know, second and third and fourth, fifth times, whatever, um, Obviously, I, I, I catch it more now, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, oh, I see how this was going to work out. But, I mean, it, again, it's one of those cases where if, if it catches you off guard, it's a worthy payoff. Um, fans love this movie, more or less. Critics, not so much. I went, I went sifting through the internet, looking for comments, looking for reviews and whatnot. Uh, more than not... Um, I saw a lot of positive for this film, um, especially from fans. I, and some fans did, you know, feel it was on par with like a film like Memento meets Kill Bill kind of idea. Um, one thing that it, it, and I, I totally jump on board with this as well. Like I saw it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I know I'm really doing that over <laughs> way too much, but um, Catherine Isabel, just like the praise for her, including from critics and critics didn't like this movie, but they felt that she stood probably like she stood out more than anyone else. And that includes, you know, big names, like I said, like Christopher Lloyd and Michael Ironside. Um, her performance is loved by almost all. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, critics were not a fan of the storytelling. Some of them felt that the story was too bland, too slow, blah, 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 whatever. Um, I know that, and I, I read uh, a quote from... Catherine Isabel in one of her interviews she actually talks about this movie and she said that up to that point in her acting career so in in 2015 um playing the characters of Gwen and Flamingo which is basically one and the same character uh was her favorite role to play to that date um 
She absolutely loved it, and she put it even above Ginger Fitzgerald and Mary Mason, two of her more famed characters. Um, a lot of people also, I noticed, uh, gave a lot of praise to April Mullen for taking a bold chance on a movie like this um, that doesn't play out in a linear fashion. It's very um, all-around and jumpy and whatnot, and people gave her a lot of credit for taking that chance. So, and not to mention, and yes, okay, some people would say, well, why do you got to highlight that? But not only did this have a non-linear um, narrative, it came from a female director on top of that, which up to that point, I think that had pretty much been unheard of. So there, there's a lot of praise for her as well. Now, when it came to the critics, so well, that was a completely different story, Um a lot of them, I and this is the thing, this is where I say critics sniff their own farts too much, or they need to, you know, unfuck themselves, take the fist out of your own anus, and, you know, just enjoy something for once. Because uh, David Barry of the National Post, for example, gave it zero stars. That's fucking harsh. Okay, like, I get it. You, you don't like a movie, fine, but zero stars... And he called it a cliched film that over-explains its plot. Okay, but you can't tell me that you didn't walk away noticing anything positive about a movie like this. The, giving a movie zero stars is like giving a waitress a two-cent tip. Okay, it, it's fucking bullshit. Um, Liam Lacey of The Globe and Mail rated it 2.5 out of 4 stars. That was probably the most nicest critic... Um, uh, accolade, I guess, or whatever. Not accolade. I, I can't think of the word I'm thinking of, but I, it, that was probably the nicest thing that I saw come from a critic. Uh, Linda, Linda Bernard of the Toronto Star rated it two out of four stars and wrote that the film's deliberate quirkiness makes it annoying despite showing visual promise. Um, Norman Wilner of Now Toronto gave it one out of five stars. God, fucking asshole. While stating, 88 runs for 88 minutes, but it really shouldn't. There's barely an hour of plot revisited again and again in flash-cut montages designed to add an intensity the story itself can't muster. I understand that this, again, this is not going to be a movie for everyone. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, opinions are wrong or whatnot. But when you, like I said, when you walk out of there going zero stars or one out of five stars... um, Sometimes that's just being like too fucking harsh because you're taking away from all the hard work that gets put into a film. Whether or not you like the film, there's still hard work that's involved. And not to mention when you when you would read interviews or or hear commentary from, you know, the stars of the film and whatnot and their praise for the director. And I'm going somewhere with this. There's, you know, a certain film coming out this week where like actors have all said they loved working with someone. There was a lot of hard work put into it. And there's people already shitting on the movie before it's even come out. Um, you know where I'm going with that. The thing is, is that when I saw some of the stuff that I was seeing from the critics, I mean, as much as people would put down Siskel and Ebert, I can't even see Roger Ebert being that harsh to give a movie zero stars. That's that's shitting on the performance of Catherine Isabel, Christopher Lloyd, Michael Ironside. That's shitting on the idea that an independent director 
female director at that took a chance and gave us a movie with a non-linear narrative and said, I'm taking a chance. I hope this works. To walk away giving it zero stars or one out of five, that that's to me, that's fucking shitty. I noticed that both of and actually all four of those critics come out of Toronto. That doesn't say very much for a city that boasts that, you know, they have a lot of movie promise and whatnot, and you shit on your own people that way. It's 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 bullshit for me. IMDb has the movie at a rating of five out of ten, with the common rating standing at both five and six. Fifteen point two percent of the rating or votings on IMDb were both five and six. Seven is the next highest at fourteen point one percent of the votes. The podcast zero rating is basically this. This movie is different. It's a non-linear narrative to play like someone with a dissociative issue trying to figure out just what the hell happened and who they are. And that's that was one of the things I really liked about the fact that it wasn't told straightforward is because a person with a fugue state or a dissociative disorder is not going to think in a in a linear narrative. So I, I like that that was the choices they made with this movie. Christopher Lloyd, Michael Ironside, Jesse McCartney. These are big male names that were to bring in the audience, but it's the female performance of Catherine Isabel that makes this movie fight like a girl in the best possible way. Um I can't I, I cannot stress enough and this is this goes even beyond the fact that yes I'm a huge Catherine Isabel fan. She literally took two different personas of one character and played them perfectly to a T. Um even even if this story had not piqued my interest and it was strictly based on her performance I still would have walked away at least giving this movie like a 4 out of 10 or something because she deserves the accolades for that Um, April Mullen's direction based on her story and Tim Doyron's screenplay who I might also add I I didn't talk much about him but his his portrayal of Ty in this is really fun he kind of brings the humor aspect to this movie he does it very well but anyways in terms of the direction, it was a gutsy one. Um, I think that it didn't come off all that bad. It is confusing at points, I'm not going to lie, to some. Um, it seems the fan perspective, though, um, really appreciated what she did with this movie. The score is great. I didn't talk much about the score, but the score is, is it, it does what it needs to. Um, it's not over-the-top great. It's not... Um, you know, it's not uh, you know something that you would see from like Ennio Morricone or Junkie XL or you know Hans Zimmer or some of these bigger names, but it it, it it's it sets the setting and and the tone uh, quite adequately. Um, doesn't seem overly forced or anything like that. Uh, in terms of the film, first and third act are very solid. The second act does drag a bit. I'm not going to lie. Um, sometimes that second act is, you know, the part of the film where you're kind of looking at your phone going, maybe I'll scroll through Facebook for five minutes. It happens. But like I said, the third act definitely makes up for it. It's got a nice little twist at the end. 
In terms of podcast zero rating, it's six cheeseburgers and a glass of milk, basically bringing the score to seven out of ten. And the six cheeseburgers and a glass of milk, that is actually somewhat a reference to the film. Uh, the numbers may be changed, but there's a scene in the movie where uh, basically Flamingo asks for five cheeseburgers and a glass of milk and is one of the better elements of the film. It comes at a, a, a pretty decent time. It, it, it works. So, Podcast Zero rating is 7 out of 10. Uh, it's a decent flick that's worth at least a once-through. Um, I honestly, I say watch it twice. Um, because I, the first time you watch it, you might not catch everything. It's kind of good to go back and watch it a second time. You definitely catch more of the story and if you enjoy it obviously watch it a third fourth fifth time whatever i bought it like i said on a whim and it was one that i don't regret i do know that uh i kind of i want some cheeseburgers now because i said that but whatever pizza pops me and my pizza pops i'm like addicted to those damn things but whatever on that note though hey Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming back. It was um, a lot of fun watching this movie and writing some notes about it and taking it in and whatnot. I, like I said, it, I, to be fair, the most disappointing part of it was reading critic reviews, honestly. Um, and I've, I've said before on, the, on this podcast, I'm not a big fan of, you know, paid critics. I don't know. Fans, fans are a, a different story because, I mean, some... Yeah, they're harsh, but fans uh, fans are passionate, you know, and, and that's the thing. There, there's a passion that comes with it. When when it's a paid critic, they're doing it for the money, and that's again, you know, zero stars. Like that's just harsh. That totally discredits all the work that people put into this, whether you liked it or not. I mean, I don't know. You want to sit around if you if you want to sit there and say something is worth zero stars and talk about my podcast, but not this movie. Okay, whatever. Um, yeah. On that note, like I said, thanks for listening. Um, we'll do the usual, you know, where to find the show, stuff like that. Um, Lurker's recommendation. I will announce episode eighty nine. And no, it's not a movie called 89. <laughs> um, and we'll get the hell out of here. So, social... Well, first off, where to subscribe to the podcast. And hopefully some of you have subscribed to it. Um, I, I don't want to say that I'm canceling out the social media aspect of the podcast. Because, I mean, it, it serves its purpose. But... Sometimes I have a tendency to walk away from social media for a couple days and then I come back kind of thing. So can't always be guaranteed to know about the podcast episodes through social media. With that said, it's probably better to subscribe through one of the apps, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, FM Player, um, Podbean, wherever, um, because the podcast will show up there and you will be notified through your subscriptions. 
Or you could just check the nextlevelnetwork.com, which is the home of the podcast. Nextlevelnetwork.com slash podcast zero is the home of the show. Also, what lurks behind podcastzero.com. Um, social media, when I am using it, uh, facebook.com slash what lurks behind podcast zero on Instagram at what lurks behind podcast zero and on twitter at wlb podcast zero twitter you know what i like so i've kind of discovered this is that i kind of actually like twitter a little bit only because i have notifications turned off on my devices so (laughs) sometimes i post something turn it off and i don't come back for a week and then when i do i see there's like a whole bunch of like likes and retweets and i'm like oh some people actually liked me um so yeah and then i get to avoid all the politics and the garbage that you know is constantly spewed on twitter so there's that uh lurker's recommendation i'm gonna say first off the new rob zombie album if you haven't listened to it give it a shot also though i do want to say and i i intentionally avoided talking about this too much so the resonator also known as Miskatonic U, um, is a two-part movie, basically. It was a movie. For whatever reason, they cut it in half. So you get episode one and episode two. But it's technically an hour and ten-minute movie um, on the Full Moon Features app. I was really skeptical. As a matter of fact, I think I talked about it on this show that I felt that based off the trailer it looked like it would have like a really cheap look to it and whatnot i i totally um take back all that i said it, it was in the most bluntest way i can put this it was fucking amazing um such a nice throwback to from beyond um nice little subtle eggs and hints and and just you know practical effects uh, with a hint of cgi to give it that you know that inner that like um, inner space kind of feel to it and whatnot uh it, it just it was really well done i i saw um a comment what it basically it's like riverdale put into a lovecraftian horror film um i honestly think that's pretty accurate I, it's a better version of riverdale if you <laughs> if you want to look at it that way um because some people are like riverdale sucks well okay maybe you don't like riverdale but you might like this um honestly check it out it was so worth it i really enjoyed it episode 89 episode 89 so i'm actually doing this this year and the past couple of years i haven't done this and i decided you know what this is the year i'm gonna do it so this week will be saint patrick's day obviously so the episode will come after this but it seemed only fitting to do the 1993 movie starring jennifer aniston in her first feature length role the movie leprechaun that will be episode 89 most likely coming next week if it takes me two weeks don't shit on me for it anyways we're gonna close out with uh the song that was actually used during the trailer for 88 um it also is featured in the movie it's a demo version that never actually got a wide release uh, by the uh, artist petra glint 
who is kind of like Canada's version of Grimes, somewhat. Uh, anyways, the song that was used in this movie was called Sour Paradise, so that's what we're going to close out with. Um, that said, thank you for tuning in. It was a real pleasure to do this movie. I hope that you all at least give it a chance. I think there is something for everyone to enjoy in this movie. Um, I already had people telling me. It, my one friend, um, I believe it was my buddy TJ, he saw the name Christopher Lloyd and he was like, that's all you had to say, I'm in. Um, again, I, I, I really do think this is a movie that people should check out. It, it's a cool little revenge flick that doesn't go too far with the, re- the revenge either. Like, We're not talking I spit on your grave kind of shit. Um, it's, it's there. It, it does some cool things and whatnot. So that's that. Next week, episode 89... Peter Locker the Irish yeah, my Irish accent is not good it's kind of funny I'm watching Sons of Anarchy and they deal with the Irish right now so interesting how it all comes around anyways that's a cut you need to shut the fuck up Hungry for a life in hand.